Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the Classic Lenses podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm hosting this podcast from Stoke-on-Trent in the UK. Joining me today are Carl Havens in Gainesville, Florida. Hello, Carl. Hey, how are you? And we've got Johnny Sisson in Chicago. Hello, Johnny. Good day, all. Last week we spoke about a range of M42 lenses by Pentax and having completely failed to pronounce the T word, I've got no plans of using that word today. We also spoke about radiation in certain Pentax and other lenses, which led to an eye-raising comment by Ben Kuto or Kauto, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce your name, in the main podcast post on the Facebook group, Photography with Classic Lenses. Ben had sold a radioactive Pentax lens from his eBay shop and sent it via eBay's global shipping program, but eBay's handling company, Pitney Bowes, stopped the delivery for reasons of radiation. Johnny, have you got anything to say on that? Seems like an ab- abundance of caution, but you know, I'm not the guy sitting there on the conveyor belt with the Geiger counter. But I, I mean, I would imagine that must be, um, you know, what happened. I guess that they just do that sort of check on everything that they ship, and I suppose they don't. Doesn't matter to them why the the Geiger counter goes off or whatever device they're measuring. It goes off, and they pull the shipment. I would guess. So um, it's interesting, though. It, it is the first time I've certainly ever heard of that. I've, I haven't even seen that sort of thing come up anywhere else on any of the Facebook groups or elsewhere. So interesting interesting uh, to hear, especially right after our conversation about those lenses. I mean, I've sold a few radioactive lenses relatively recently, but certainly not in the last couple of months. But I mean, his lens was going uh, via the US to Canada, so it could be something that they've, they've got going there, but they haven't brought yeah. it to Europe yet, possibly. Very possible. I, I mean, that to me, uh, you know, knowing just working at the camera shop at Central Camera Company, um, I know that, you know, it's it's very interesting, all of the shipping restrictions that seem to uh, come into play regarding, you know, photo equipment. I, I mean, we, we, we sell an awful lot of, you know, batteries, lithium-ion batteries, which are not supposed to go uh, charged into the post because, you know, God only knows what somebody could do with a charged battery and um, things that, that go boom, right, on airplanes and all that. Um, and, uh, uh, what's the other one? I was just thinking of this the other day. Um, well, maybe it'll come to me, but, but you know, the, it's, it's odd the way things like that seem to, oh, I know what it was. It's uh, chemistry. Um, a lot of, uh, liquid photochemistry can't be shipped also for the same sort of reason, not the explosives thing, but just like a hazmat issue. Mm-hmm. So they just choose not to, not to ship it. And I think there's probably, certain restrictions especially between u.s canada north america kind of stuff that may not you know apply elsewhere but i know that's a big one here in the u.s is that a lot of uh folks can't get liquid chemistry through the mail i I realized last week when we were looking at that list of radioactive lenses that i've purchased probably at least 20 lenses that are radioactive and i never had a problem Mm -hmm. and i've never had a problem shipping them out now when i when i sell i only sell to um, U.S. buyers, and it's not because I'm um, having America First policy. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it's because I'm, you know, to keep the postage costs down. But I've never yeah. had a problem. Yeah, I th- it, it could cause a, 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 an increase in cost, of course, but we might have to start shipping them in lead line boxes. So that's just going to add, add to the weight. <laughs> this week, uh, our topic our main topic is going to be about the gear that we use to take our photographs with classic lenses and uh, to start us off uh, Johnny please tell us about your gear yeah um, all right I'll talk about a few things that are usually in my in my camera bag 
the talking about digital first, um, the camera that I usually have with me for that is the uh, Fujifilm XE2. Uh, camera was released in 2016. It's a 16.3 megapixel camera, um, and it uh, that that's really for me the camera that got me uh, really full on into adapting classic lenses uh, back in about 2013 when I got it. Uh, switching over from Canon EOS, which I I never felt was a real good fit because the viewfinders are just not really designed generally for manual focus unless you're talking about the higher end cameras with interchangeable screens and all that. So Fuji and mirrorless that that was my uh, my entry point in. Um, and well, boy, it's 2018 now. I have not uh, really even thought of upgrading my digital uh, camera body, which I see as a a, a mounting system for classic lenses. Uh, it's it's worked out great for me. I actually picked up a second one um, so that I had a little bit more more flexibility in carrying you know two cameras, two lenses at the same time. But it does everything I need to do, and and to me it feels very much like a uh, classic film camera, which is something that I was really missing, especially with the Fuji or the uh, Canon DSLRs. Uh, the Fuji feels in the hand quite a bit like a film camera. Has a you know app. Uh, uh, the shutter speed dial right on the top, EV dial right on the top. Um, you know, put it in aperture priority mode, and it it feels uh, very much to me like something like a you know an, a Minolta X seven hundred or uh, an an Olympus OM two. So it's um, just a simple all around camera. Um, and for me, I, I really appreciate the um, the film simulations that are that are built into the camera. I don't. Um, <laughs> This may horrify a lot of people, but I, I generally shoot in JPEG uh, when I'm shooting adapted glass because I like to try to shoot it the way I would shoot it on film. And I don't want to mess around with it too much afterwards. Um, and I, I, you know, I find the film simulations coming out of the Fuji are 90% there for me. I tweak them a little bit more in camera raw, and then I, I've got what I want generally. So that's my, uh, that is my uh, digital of, of choice, my mirrorless of choice. And actually, to be honest, I use it uh, more often now as a digitizing device for film uh, because really I'm, I'm, I'm really on a daily basis carrying film cameras more than digital cameras. So the other cameras that are in my bag uh, frequently uh, are the Olympus OM-2N. Uh, the camera was released in 1975. Uh, it was, was very advanced at the time, especially the metering and exposure system. Uh, and to me, it, it, I, I really don't think there's a better aperture priority um, 35 millimeter camera out there, at least for my personal needs. I like a big, bright viewfinder. I like a camera to have really simple controls and kind of get out of the way. And the Olympus definitely does that for me. Uh, I also like smaller SLRs. And, and one thing that you know the Olympus OM-1 and the Olympus OM-2 did when they were released is they turned the tide on the ever-enlarging 35 millimeter SLR. Uh, there were some very big cameras out at the time when they came out in the early 70s. So it was really kind of a revelation when Olympus rethought the 35 millimeter SLR, uh, in some ways taking the uh, uh, the Leica M series as its inspiration. And it does feel a bit like that camera in the hand. Uh, and Leica shooters tended to really gravitate towards the Olympus. So. The OM-2N is um, my preferred 35 millimeter SLR because uh, I, I find aperture priority is just very quick on the street. I can set the aperture I want to work at. The camera is going to pick the shutter speed, and I can I can focus more on composing the image, which to me that's 
90% of what photography is, is, you know, paying attention to the composition and the light. Uh, so that, that's my 35 millimeter SLR of choice. The, uh, other camera I have in my bag a lot these days is the, um, Canon 4SB, which was released in 1952. Uh, it's a thread mount LTM, um, camera. So it's using like a thread mount lenses, which were very common at the time. Um, is very much a, basically a Leica thread mount camera clone. Uh, but I think this Canon really got some things very right um, and sort of improves on uh, its inspiration, that being the, the Canon LTM cameras of the day. Um, very solid construction. It's, it's actually much heavier than similar Canon LTM screw mount cameras of the same era. Um, I find the viewfinder, the single window viewfinder that has both the, uh, you know, the split image uh, in, in one window, I find that to be really much more convenient, um, much brighter than most of the Canon screw mount cameras, except for the very last ones. I guess going back to the construction, it's just, it's just fantastic. The, the shutter curtains are beautiful. Usually you see these cameras from this era, the Leica cameras from the, from the mid fifties, a very good chance they're going to need a shutter overhaul. Uh, this camera I picked up for about 150 bucks from KEH. Actually, I think it was 130, and it's dead perfect. I mean, it, it I, to me it looks like it has never been uh, overhauled, updated anything. It's it's straight the way it was from you know 1955 era, and it's just perfect. Um, everything functions great. Shutter speeds are on, curtains are beautiful. Um, it it's just a very simple, easy to use camera, and I I really am enjoying having it in my bag, uh, generally with a, uh, I generally have a Jupiter 12 on it and I'm just really impressed with how this camera works and the images I'm getting out of it and just how much fun it is to use such a simple camera. So that's three for me. I got a bonus I'll, I'll throw in <laughs> if we've got time, which is, um, the other camera in my bag frequently these days is a Zorky 4k. So this is a Soviet camera built in about 1972 through I think 75 or so maybe a little bit later. Uh, they sold an awful lot of these. And it's also, I would say, one of the most distinctive looking cameras uh, out there, um, which I think anyone looking up this camera will recognize that I, I feel like I see it a lot in advertising and you know ads for anything camera related because it just looks so unique. So I'm shooting the Zorgi 4K with, um, right now it has on it a, a Voigtlander Color Scope R uh, 21 millimeter F4. So that, that lens is sort of living on the Zorky 4K and um, very simple, just a, again, a very, a very simple camera, uh, lever wind, which is nice. Um, the film loading is really easy. The whole back comes off, so it's really easy to load film on. Um, so yeah, this one is uh, my other favorite at the moment and getting, getting a lot of use. You're primarily a, a, a film shooter, but obviously you do use your uh, film lenses on, on your Fuji. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, do you, I mean, there's there's obviously a, a, a crop difference uh, with the Fuji, with it being a, a 1.5 crop compared right. to how it will be on on film. But sure. are there any other characteristics? Do some lenses just behave differently on film compared to how they behave on your Fuji? I really think so. It's 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 interesting. That's an interesting point, Simon. And I feel like the the longer I've been adapting to digital and and the more cameras that have come out because you, you figure I mean 
you know, the mirrorless thing is really taken off. And, and I don't mean to focus only on mirrorless here, but that's what I'm using. And I feel like the bigger, the, the best cameras, uh, in my opinion, for adapting classic lenses are mirrorless cameras because they just give so many more options because the uh, flange distance is, you know, so short. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like the lenses that I use on film cameras, um, the ones that I like tend to have a, a very similar character on the Fuji X sensor. But I, I've really noticed that some lenses really behave very differently on different sensors. And I, and I think we see this a bit in the group, um, in the photography of classic lenses group. And I, I guess I gravitate towards lenses and systems that primarily I, I like to shoot on film um, that I can also adapt on a digital. And the crop factor for me personally, I, I don't really notice it all that much. I, I've always been uh, kind of a 50 millimeter shooter. Uh, and for me, having my 50 millimeter lenses act like 80s is not a huge deal. Um, I, on SLR, I was never a real big 35 millimeter shooter, um, but those act like a 50 on uh, on the crop sensor camera. Um, and super wides, uh, you know, those work really well on the Fuji as well, especially the lens we talked about last week. For me, the uh, 15 millimeter super wide heliar is just is is great on the fuji and it's more like a 21 which is still very wide so i i i don't personally find um the need to use things like focal reducers i know a lot of people like them but maybe it's because i shoot primarily on film um and and that to me i i don't really have an issue with the crop factor um and generally if i'm shooting digital with my classic lenses it's in situations where film it's just too darn difficult. I mean, I, I like shooting the digital in, in bad lighting, low lighting. Uh, I like shooting color a bit on the digital, which on film, I tend to shoot black and white. So uh, so I don't know. For me, the Fuji kind of fits a good niche. And, and again, I, I mentioned that to me, it feels a lot like a film camera. And it actually behaves quite a bit like a film camera. Even even the uh, the way it focuses with you know magnified focusing and peak focusing, I feel like it's just such a great, uh, implementation of manual focusing that, you know, for me, I just haven't found a need to, to, to go elsewhere or, or, or do anything differently. If it fits the particular niche pretty well. It's interesting. Um, one of the lenses that I like the best right now, and I'm using a lot is this Canon LTM 51.4 and on the Fuji at F 2.8, if I shoot a picture of my son, which is my main test subject lately, um, it, there's a beautiful 3D pop. I don't even have to try to get it. It just happens. But um, the first two rolls of film that I've shot with the lens on my Canon 7S, my Canon 7, I don't see it. They look flat. And mm -hmm. maybe it's just, it's just the developing. And so I've, I've shot a few more rolls and I'm waiting for them to come back. But I had expected to see the same effect and it, and it wasn't there. It's, it's interesting as well uh, when you're talking about 3D pop because that's something that people perhaps associate with larger larger sensor size because uh, and certainly you'd, you'd look look through the viewfinder on a, a medium format camera you see 3d pop all the time and then as the, right. the sensor size reduces the um the it lessens the 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 effect so it just becomes a little bit harder to actually uh, achieve with with uh, the with the smaller sensors but uh, it's certainly a case certain lenses just produce that that um 
that pop as we're talking about you know it's 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 a level of contrast micro contrast possibly and sharpness and then how it falls away into into the outer focus areas to give that that standout uh, look and certainly the canon ltm 39 uh, 51.4 is, is definitely a lens that achieves that quite easily yep yeah that's been my experience too definitely so carl um do you want to tell us about your kit yeah, sure. Let me let me talk about what I had before and what I have now. Um, for several years, I, I was shooting an Olympus. I had an EM5, and then I, I got an EM1. And um, I probably shot over 100 different classic lenses on those cameras. And I uh, never had 100 because I they go through my hands pretty quickly. But um, I, I liked it. I was really happy with that camera. And I think it has its pros and cons for shooting classic lenses The the body has really good build quality. I think the build quality is better than my my Fuji, and I think the ergonomics are better. It has IBIS, and um, the small. The, it's interesting. I I I've sometimes thought that the small sensor size was a pro because I was getting the sweet spot of the image circle, the, the centers. I was getting the best part of the image. Of course, the the cons were that I was only getting a small part of the full frame image and and missing a lot of what was there in the in the in the image, and um, especially with uh, bokeh lenses like the Helios 40 or 44, it's hard to see much of the swirl that the lens is producing with such a tiny sensor. So uh, about a year ago, I went over to an, uh, a Fuji, which has an APS-C sensor, so a little bit bigger, and um, I would never go back. And and I know that people love their Olympus cameras, and they're great, and. Um, I had one, and now I have a Fuji, and, and I don't think there's any comparison. If you're basing it just on image quality with classic lenses, it's it's far superior, in, in my opinion. Um, I like the way it renders images. I shoot JPEGs quite often, too. I like some of the um, film simulations, just like Johnny said. Um, uh, it took me a little while to get over uh, the lack of image stabilization in the body, and uh, there were people who reminded me periodically that your camera must have been um, shooting too slow because it's blurry <laughs> and uh, but, but now I'm a little more cognizant of that and and uh, and I tried to, and I'm able to keep the shutter speed up by pushing up the ISO and it doesn't get a lot of grain like the like the um, Olympus did so my, in my bag Johnny said you know what was in his bag so I pulled my lenses out and my camera out and and this is pretty typical for what I've been carrying the last two weeks I, I have my Fuji XE2 uh, same camera Johnny talked about, and I have a, a Canon 7, a 1961 Canon 7 rangefinder. Um, uh, on the on the Fuji, there's a Canon LTM 35 millimeter f 2.8, which is a wonderful lens, and it also has 3D pop at f 2.8. And I have the 51.4, and I have a Voigtlander super wide Hilliard 15. So I've got 50, a 35, and a and a 15 sitting here and um, you can easily pop them on either the film camera or my digital camera depending what I want to do and I've got of course my lens hood and, and a light meter because my Canon 7 doesn't have a functional light meter but that's fun to use so I, I use the Fuji 95% of the time I would say I don't shoot film as much as as, um, as you guys do especially Johnny um, I've had other um, cameras before that Canon 7 um, I have had three Pentax ME cameras and uh, used them and sold them um, 
I've had an Olympus OM two N, which Johnny has now, that he really likes. Yeah. And uh, I sold it because I got a Nikon FA, and I really liked it because I could use my my Nikkor lenses. And and in the last year, especially when I've been getting film cameras, I've been thinking about buying cameras where I can use the lenses nicely on both my Fuji and on the film camera. And um, Nikon lenses, it's like they're made for the Fuji sensor. They're just really perfect from my perspective. Now, um, I do use a a speed booster um, quite often. I have an an interesting RJ brand Chinese speed booster, and the thing is pretty darn good. I've compared uh, images shot with my Nikkor lenses, using it, not using it, and uh, in terms of looking at the image quality, and and I can't, it's not negatively affecting the image quality, and it's given me a full frame field of view, which is what I'd like on the wider lenses, and um, and it's speeding it up a little bit, which is what I like on the 51.4. So that's kind of an additional thing. I, I'm I'm lucky, and I've I've not had a Sony uh, Alpha 7 camera, but I've luckily luckily I have a friend who has a 7s, a 7r, a 7r2, a, a 9. And this weekend in our camera club, he showed me that he had just bought a an Alpha 7 III. So um, yeah, I easily am able to borrow one of those cameras and use it for period of time if you want to and I really like the 7s it's a cool camera for low light and um, I've used my Nikkors on it and they're they're really nice on that camera too I figure if the next camera that I buy and, and it won't be for two or three years and, and maybe it'll be an X Pro 3 is what I've been thinking lately and so um, that's my kit so you you're after a, a, an X Pro 3 which is not launched you don't know what it's going to do yet no, well, that's good. I, I've I've thought recently about buying an X Pro too. You can get a, a nearly mint one in a box and everything for fourteen hundred dollars now, which um, it's a good price. And uh, I like to be able to go up to eight you know, eight thousandths of a second shutter speed since I live in Florida, and some of the other features that it has. And um, I've held that camera now, and I, I like it. I don't mind that it's a bigger camera. And um, so I'm going to wait and see. Yeah, the X Pro three. What's it going to have? Maybe it'll have a full-frame sensor. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, if, you, if you listen to the Fuji people, it, it does not need a full-frame sensor. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I have my speed booster, so. Yeah. Jo- Johnny, you've, I know uh, you sometimes use a, a speed booster, um, but it's something that um, you don't actually use that often, do you? No, I I don't know. I, I'm i not a big fan of them. I mean, I, I, I don't. I mentioned I, I I don't really have an issue with the crop factor. I just kind of roll with it. I mean, I just I guess I just adjust to what I see in the viewfinder, you know, on the Fuji. So I I don't really see the need for for that. I would rather just put a wider lens on if I need. You know, I'd rather just put a different lens on if I want a different angle of view than mess around with the speed booster. And the one I have, you know, maybe my opinions are sour because the one I have, I have the the lens turbo two, which I thought being very wise, I would buy in um, the Canon EOS mount. And then I could stack adapters on that for pretty much any mount, mount, mount that I wanted. And I have done that. Uh, the problem is, uh, well, there's a, a few problems. One that I, I don't like is that um, the release pin that would hold the stacked adapters in place, it's basically a round pin through a round slot. So it, that means you get a lot of play. So I have to 
essentially tape the adapters on so that there's less play. And then the rounded um, element uh, in the front of the speed booster uh, means that any, um, any lens that is mounted onto it that has a very rounded back element, which is most symmetrical lenses, is going to contact the, um, the glass on the speed booster. And I would say that that happens with mo the majority of my lenses on that adapter or the, on that speed booster is that most will not focus to infinity that it, you'll get a glass on glass contact first. So, and I, I would have really loved to have bought it an M42 mount, but in their wisdom, they built their uh, M42 version of that uh, speed booster with the, the ledge shoulder built into the back, which means automatically most of my M42 lenses aren't going to mount into it correctly. So I, I was just kind of let down with uh, the uh, the whole thing. I mean, I, I have used it. I do use it with some lenses like projector lenses. Um, I use it with older folding camera lenses that I've um, adapted onto, you know, lens cap mounts and all that. And it works pretty good with those, but um, I just don't really feel the need to um, have my you know, 50s be a 50 millimeter lens, be a 50 millimeter lens on the Fuji. I'll just grab a different lens if I really want a wider angle of view. So um, don't like the extra weight. Don't like the extra size. Uh, not a fan. Well, it might, be, it might be that I like it um, just because it works well with my Nikkor yeah. lenses and I haven't used it with anything else. And maybe that brand that I got, maybe I got a good one. I, I don't know. And, you know, it's one of the things that strikes me is that not everyone who listens to the podcast knows what we're talking about and um, in regard to a speed booster i think most people do but some people might not and so um the one i have has it's a it looks like an adapter but it has five elements in it and what and what it's doing is it's taking the image circle from a full frame lens and it's focusing it down to a smaller image circle for my aps-c sensor and and as a result i see the uh, almost a full frame field of view and Supposedly, if I'm shooting at f1.4, I'm more like 1.2, and this is why they call it a speed booster. Um, and so those are those are the the two benefits of it. I've not so, tried more expensive ones. The one I had, I like. I understand the the, the, the principle of uh, why you, you you're gaining a stop or half a stop because it's effectively a tally converter in reverse. So mm -hmm. when you put a, a two times tally converter on, um, that also uh, you you double I'm not too sure you double do you double the stop uh, so f yes yeah you you're you losing light with a teleconverter right you generally you're losing one or two stops depending on the yeah. extension yeah that, that's it but so I, I can understand how in how that effectively uh, I suppose it's almost like magnifying more light onto the sensor therefore making it a faster mm -hmm. lens that sort of makes a bit of sense to me just about um I'm just wondering, is there a difference in depth of field? Does it does it decrease the depth of field, or does the depth of field effectively remain the same? I don't know about that. I know that it will reduce. It it, it makes the minimum focus distance longer, mm -hmm. so that's a downside to it. I suppose depending on the mount, you could also put that onto a, a focusing helicoid as well. Well, that's true. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's probably worth me just going through uh, my gear now. Um, in our introductory uh, podcast, I already sort of did a quick rundown of uh, some of the things I use. But I, I certainly started off as far as digital is concerned because you know, I, I used to use, shoot film. Uh, but I went into digital about four years ago with a, an Olympus 
OM-D EM-1, uh, which you know, I was looking at a few lenses, a few cameras at the time. I was looking at the, the Canons and the what have you. Um, but I just picked up the EM-1 and I just instantly took a shine to it, um, largely because it actually felt not dissimilar uh, to how my old uh, contacts camera used to feel, uh, my Contax 159. So I felt quite at home with that one straight away, and I think that was good enough for me to actually you know, go into that system. And then I, I then, after a short period of time, realised I could use my old lenses, and and yeah, that's how we got to where we are today. I think I used it for around about 18, 18 months, and then. I was starting to get a little bit dissatisfied with the the, the, the quality of the out of focus areas um, because you know, the the camera was absolutely brilliant for um, what it was that was actually in focus. I mean, it's an incredibly sharp system. Um, mm -hmm. I'd say it's at least as sharp as anything that I've actually used if your subject is in focus. Um, but in the the out of focus areas, I just felt felt that. Um, it was grainy. Uh, there was grain there, and it had nothing to do with ISO noise. It was just uh, just the amount of um, the the crop. So the image the image was taken, and to to view it at the same to a, a reasonably large size. I mean, I use a fair size monitor, um, and it just simply you have to blow the picture up to a degree where you you where those those pixels are um, being pulled pulled apart. So therefore, you get that that grainy look, and uh, you can put um, noise software um, in there to you know, just smooth things out but it was always a case of um, you would tend to lose some of the sharpness of the areas you wanted to keep sharp and and there were and and that were fine I mean you could do things selectively but I'm, it's just too much work for me um, mm. so with with that in mind I was seeing more and more pictures that were taken with uh, with Sony cameras, uh, in particular the Sony full frame cameras, the the A7s and uh, the A7 uh, the A7 II, and I think when the A7 uh, A7 II came out, and I started to see some, uh, yeah, the, well, there was a, a look to the photographs that I really really liked, especially um, the the ones that were taken with with classic lenses, the 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 fact that it has IBIS on it. Um, in, that's in body stabilization. Uh, that was something that I really grew to. I think I became dependent on it uh, with the Olympus um, to the point where, you know, if I if I didn't have IBIS working, I, 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 it appeared that you know I couldn't even hold the camera steady. Um, yeah. I, th I think that's actually one of the things about Olympus. Actually, their their IBIS system. People actually say that I, their IBIS is better than the uh, than, than the Sony IBIS, um, and that. That could well be true, um, but it but it was a case of you know if IBIS isn't working on on an EM one, um, the, the the view through the electronic viewfinder the EVF is very very shaky um, until you press the, sh the shutter button down a little bit and then all of a sudden it it goes from shaky to being rock solid, um, whereas with the with the Sony, um, you do get that difference between shake and then going solid. But the difference is nowhere near as dramatic. Now, I'm pretty much of the opinion that the the, the sensor just hangs more freely uh, with the with the Olympus than it does with the with the Sony. So the difference between IBIS working and IBIS not working, I think, is just it's just more dramatic with the Olympus than it is with the Sony, which is making people think that the Olympus is that much better. You know, that's an opinion I, I don't know for certain, and I, and I guess really it doesn't matter because. Yeah, I find the the IBIS on the Sony to be really, really good. 
Um, so the Sony became my main camera, the, the Olympus became my uh, eBay studio camera, if you like. It's uh, one of the great things about Micro Four Thirds is uh, it's actually one of the things that people have a go at it for because uh, the smaller sensors um, uh, for a, a, a given focal length or uh, field view perhaps is a better way of putting it, uh, you, you end up with a larger depth of field which when you're doing product photography and you're getting quite close to your subject, having a greater depth of field is, is pretty damn useful. So um, I find it to be a, a perfect camera for, for, for uh, product photography. Whereas the Sony, um, it just, for me, it's a brilliant camera for using 35 millimeter lenses because you're actually seeing uh, the, the viewpoint out of them as the lens was designed. And that was, that was something that at first I used to think about, you know, I'm just getting the, and cherry picking the center part of the image as, as Carl was saying, saying earlier. Um, so therefore, you know, a lens which is um, perhaps a little bit rough at the edges, um, usually it's pretty good in the center. So you were just using the center part of the picture, which is, which is great, but you're not actually making the most of the character of the lens. And that's where um, a full frame camera like the Sony, I think it, it, it really scores. As, as well as shooting with the Sony, I've got a few other cameras um, that I've picked up either along the way or I've, I've uh, bought because, you know, there are things that the Sony does, there are things that the Olympus does, um, but neither of them can do, uh, in my view, particularly good sports photography or uh, wildlife photography in particular. And so for that reason, I've got a, a Nikon uh, D500, which I use with a big autofocus lens so I'm probably not going to talk too much about that but for uh, for the sake of wildlife photography it's absolutely brilliant um, and I've not used anything that uh, really can come close to it uh, and uh, other lenses in, in my uh, I suppose I've got to call them a collection um, I've got a, a ca other cameras I should say uh, I have a, a Canon 5D Mark I uh, which is a camera that I really really like um, it's a camera that I, I tend to use for um, if I do any lens porn shots on my uh, dining room table, um, it, it just works so well with my Carl Zeiss 50mm 1.4 planar. And uh, and I've got three other cameras. Um, I've got a Pentax K100D, which I only really use uh, for you know, testing K-mount lenses as part of my business for selling cameras and lenses. Um, I picked up a Pentax Q7, which has got a seriously small sensor on it, but it, uh, but it allows me to use, uh, to test uh, C mount and uh, even D mount lenses uh, because the the flange distance on that is tiny, um, so uh, that that can be quite useful for that. But it's a really difficult camera to use because it doesn't have an EVF, so you you're just using the LCD screen. And if you're using if you're out in the in the bright sunlight and you're trying to do use a, a manual focus D-mount lens, it's just a nightmare. Um, <laughs> I mean, you can get uh, perhaps some kind of shielded uh, device you can put over the uh, the LCD panel at the back, um, which I, I might do one day, but it just means forking out more money for a tiny little camera that I don't use very often. And then the final camera in the, uh, in the collection, I've got a, a Fuji X-Pro1, which... I bought um, a little bit before Carl bought his XE2 and there was a, a, a bit of a um, thing going around for Fuji cameras at the time and, and people were saying just how, how wonderful they were and you don't need to shoot raw because the JPEGs are just brilliant and uh, and so on and so on. And uh, so I bought this, well, I actually tried a, an XE2. A friend, a friend of mine, Mike Walker, um, has an XE2 
and I, I tried that and I just felt it was just a little bit too small for me um, and certainly when you put a, a, an older lens on um, an all metal lens I just felt that it was it was just unbalanced I know some people put uh, thumb grips on the back of them to help balance the lens but I also held a, an X-Pro and I just felt it was just a, a more comfortable camera to, to hold and uh, and to use uh, the classic lenses with, especially the smaller, wider lenses, because I'm not too sure I'd, I'd want to use it with, uh, with telephoto lenses like I can with the Sony or, or the Olympus for that matter. But ultimately I was I was disappointed with the with with, with the X-Pro um, lots of people talk about just how good the controls are and I know Johnny's a, a huge fan of uh, having that dial on the top with the with the shutter speeds and pretty much uh, uh, disses any any camera that doesn't use that system um, and mocks them and but um, for myself as a as an aperture priority shooter it's it's a wasted dial because it just go it just sits on a and then I've just got lots of pretty numbers that don't do anything and you know I don't have you know niceties such as an ISO button for instance you know I've got to use up um, a custom button just to be able to change my ISO or go into menus and things like that so uh, I don't know Johnny I don't know if you want to defend uh, uh, Fuji there <laughs> well I, I I would say I, not so much defending Fuji as I I would de I will defend dials, <laughs> so I I I do like having uh, a shutter speed dial uh, right there on the top. And again, you know, for me, I equate everything back to film cameras. You know, it's primarily what I use. So I I I really like having a camera that's got a ISO or sorry a, a shutter speed dial with an A for aperture priority, um, and then I can I can pop into uh, if I want to pop out of aperture priority, I just you know just turn the dial and I'm right there. Um, the thing that I, I I I think you make a good point about um, the ASA dial, and it, it's interesting that Fuji's you know gener next generation beyond the X Pro One, uh, those cameras now have an integrated you know dial that has both uh, shutter speed and then you just kind of lift that up and you have ISO so it's very much like um, the dial on I think it's the uh, what the Nikon uh, FM2 has exactly the same dial so I think that was smart on their part I, I mean I have the there's a little function button right next to uh, the shutter release on the Fuji and I've just made that my ISO so really I've just got a one touch and I'm you know I'm into ISO but I, I definitely prefer having it um, in a in a dial on the top of the camera, which is what they've done with the newer the newer cameras. So that that and an EV adjust dial, I think, are makes it just perfect. Um, so I, I I'll I'll defend dials. I, I try not to be a fanboy because I, you know, the the Fuji has its shortcomings certainly, and it, it's interesting that um, Simon uses such a, a diff you know kind of a range. He he's really, I think, um, pointed out some really great strong and weak points of different systems and i mean even even that silly pentax q i lust over that thing from time to time until you know i, I remind myself it doesn't have an evf <laughs> and yeah. then it all goes to hell but i you know i i do definitely prefer cameras that have physical you know shutter speed aperture uh ev controls just because that's what i feel like a real camera should have you know for better or worse and yeah i'm not a huge fan of passm dials pasm mode dials um, but I do understand it, you know, why, why people like those. And, and, and I do even agree with your point, Simon, that if you're shooting a digital camera primarily in either aperture priority or program, yeah, that's the, having marked shutter speeds on a dial doesn't really do a whole lot for you. 
Um, so I, I can understand certainly where you're coming from with that. But I, I for myself, I, I do prefer to have those dials. And the other point you make, I think, about the XE2, which is a great and very valid criticism, is that it does not balance very well. Uh, and I do have a thumb rest on mine so that, you know, essentially what the thumb rest does is it mimics the placement of your thumb on a film camera when you have your, your uh, film lever wound and you can kind of tuck your thumb underneath that film lever um, and it gives you kind of a, a much better one-handed ability to kind of point the camera. And I, I absolutely find that lacking on, on most digital cameras, period, but definitely on the XE, XE2. So I, I put that thumb grip on mine shortly after I got the camera and that kind of solved that ergonomic issue for me. But yeah, to me, that's a very valid criticism. And, and on the newer cameras, they've, um, they've kind of increased the little thumb bump on the side of the camera and, and made that uh, positive ergonomic feature a little bit more noticeable. So good criticism there. And I think, you know, Fuji's come a bit of a ways towards um, addressing that. But yeah, the, the, I, I find the, uh, the thumb grip to be essential on the XE2. Yeah, so I, 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 when I first bought this camera, I really hated the ergonomics compared to the Olympus. I like the way the images look, but I, it just didn't feel right in my hand. And, and I got a thumb grip within about two weeks, and it makes a, a world of difference. Um, there's one thing that I don't like still, and I do it sometimes by mistake, and that is there's a little part on the back of the camera on the right side below the EVF dial. Uh, that protrudes out and it has two buttons, uh, AFL and AEL, and it's really easy for my hand to engage one of those by mistake. And um, and, and I, I frequently do it. You can but, go turn that off, you know. Well, I can turn Carl. that off. Okay, well, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll private message you and you can tell me. Okay, <laughs> gotcha. But a, a couple of things. So while we were, um, while you guys were talking, I just took a quick look on eBay and this is really interesting. So the price points, you, you can buy a, a brand new Alva 7.2 on eBay now for $1,100. And the used mint um, Fuji X-Pro 2s are $1,400. So the Alpha 7 II, a brand new one, has come down that much. And uh, I'm not starting to wonder now about what I said earlier about NX Pro 2. Because if I had a Sony and I still had my Fuji here, I'd have both systems. And then the other thing I was going to say is that um, well, we won't hold it against you, Simon, that um, you weren't able to master using a Fuji camera. <laughs> oh! <laughs> oh, well... See, seeing that you're 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 taunting me now, I I, I feel like I'm going to broach the the other favourite subject of, um, of of Fuji, and that's um, that's just how good the JPEGs are, um, and rather not so much how good the JPEGs are, because I don't think there's any doubt the the Fuji JPEGs are excellent. There's no there's no two ways about it, and uh, you know as far as JPEGs go. Um, Certainly, I would. I think if if I was to shoot JPEGs, I think Fuji would probably be the system that I would gravitate to. But the bit that I take issue with is um, a number of people, a huge number of people, it seems, um, like to say, "Well, Fuji JPEGs are just so good. I just don't shoot RAW anymore." And I know that's. I'm not sure if that's specifically uh, Johnny's position, but I know that Johnny thinks, well, they, they, they're good enough for me and they give the look that he, that he wants, and that, that's great. But when I've 
you know, I've 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 done some uh, raw and JPEG shooting of, of shots with the uh, with the X Pro One, and you know, and I I look at the the, the the shots and in JPEG, and I think, yeah, that's, that's 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 really nice. But I'm just one of these people. I look at a shot and I think, well, that's not quite right with it, and this isn't quite right. So I feel I always have to go into a shot and just you know sort something out with the highlights or the shadows mm-hmm. or or whatever. And and it was my experience that the uh, the Fuji was it was it was exposing for the highlights um, at the expense of shadows. I don't know if that's a um, a normal thing, but certainly when I would take the same shots as as raw, I could bring it back uh, those those uh, those those shadows, and also I could tone down the highlights in a way that I just simply could not do as as a JPEG. Uh, I I will kind of second that. I mean, I I, I know that the way I shoot my Fujis, uh, they do tend to be. Let's say you have it set in aperture priority, right? And you have your EV at zero. They always overexpose the highlights. Um, so I agree with that. They do, and I usually have my EV bumped down, uh, maybe a third of a stop. And also, the other thing that I do is just by default um, in in the overall uh, picture adjust menu. I think I have my highlight tone bumped back minus one and my shadow tone bumped up plus two which sort of what that does is it tweaks the jpeg profile and i find that to be to be very helpful and to be possibly a better rendition and and i do think that that might be a function of the fact that the um those jpeg settings are really assuming you're using you know fuji's autofocus system lenses i don't know that they're you know, none of none of these systems. Um, uh, well, well, they all support. You know, we use them in a way that they're somewhat not meant to be used, right? Sticking these old lenses on them. So I mean that you know the systems are all are all um, designed primarily to be have their their own system lenses built onto the front of the camera when you're shooting. So I do think that's that's part of the issue, and I and I do find it helpful to tweak the the JPEG presets a bit with Fuji. Um, and I do, I mean, I, like I said, I, my, my Fuji JPEGs, I feel like are 90% there and I take them every single one before I put it out in the world. I take it another 10% in camera raw, raw or Photoshop to get it right where I want it. So I, I don't, I don't think any, well, I have a caveat to this. I'm about to say, I don't think anybody's out of camera JPEGs are perfect. And I believe that right up until the day I got to do a, um, hands-on demo with a Leica M10. And I, I um, of course, the first thing I did was put that camera in JPEG, and uh, nothing, man. They are straight, perfect, out of camera. So I, you know, I, I've been pretty impressed with Fuji's settings and JPEGs up till now, until I shot an M10, uh, which is both full frame, <laughs> and you know, it, that, to me, that was a moment when I said, "Oh, all right, there's not really, any, I, I don't really need a full frame digital camera." And then I'm like, "Oh." If I if I had the money, if I could sell a kidney or something, I would have an M10 in a heartbeat because they're. I mean, it's there really is a different. I I had I had 3D pop in my test images on my you know my 15 millimeter heliar on the M10. I couldn't believe it. Just out of interest, just how much yeah. is a, an M10? Uh, they are. I I know this because I sell them. They are uh, 68.95. Um, and if you want a what an M uh mp uh those are 69.95 and and technically uh the mp is considered to be the higher spec camera because it has video which the um 
the M10 doesn't. They've slimmed the M10 to just be, you know, which I kind of respect about it. They've just made it really optimized for still photography, which I think is great. Um, so, I mean, if I had the money, quite honestly, I, yeah, I, I, if I was considering a, you know, a, a full frame camera and it was a full frame, I think honestly, the only choice would be a mirror, at least right now, as of this date in 2018 would be a Sony full frame. Um, I think this is about to change in the coming year because Canon and Nikon are going to finally get serious about their, their mirrorless camera lineup. Uh, but right now, given today, the choices are really, you know, Sony and Fuji. I know Pentax makes a full frame too, but, you know, for my use, it's really down to those two. I, knowing that I would probably be adapting classic lenses onto either camera, I would probably pony up a little bit more and try to go for the Leica uh, because I think the character out of the M10 sensor and the, the image quality is just unbelievable. Um, so... You know, I think it's worth considering for shooters like us that maybe aren't going to buy a bunch of um, system lenses. Um, I mean, I think Sony's lenses are just ungodly expensive and the build quality on them, I think, is really lacking for the price. Um, and it's certainly not something you would have with uh, with uh, Leica's lenses, but you'd never be able to afford them. So there's trade-offs, right? But I, I think the... Um, I, was, I was just really impressed with the M10 as a... Um, a vehicle for shooting manual focus lenses. I have to say in response to something I just said, and, and this is not a manual focus lens, but <laughs> but <laughs> um, I, when I borrowed um, a 7S, it had a, a, a 55 1.8 sonar on it, and it might be one of the nicest lenses I've ever used. Is that Sony's sonar, or was it a Zeiss, Zeiss Sony. Yeah, all right. Yeah, because the the Zeiss lenses, the actual Zeiss lenses made for, you know, all these mounts are yeah they're pretty nice. Um, but I uh, all the Sony lenses I've seen, I have not. I they feel very plasticky, um, and I think you know for the for the price, I'm a little bit more discriminating maybe if I was going to dump that much into a system, and buy a autofocus lens. I mean, I honestly I don't know that I will ever buy another digital camera with a digital lens and autofocus lens it's just not the way i want to shoot um the things that i do it's totally unnecessary but you know i i understand why people love sony cameras i think the image quality out of them is fantastic there you go i've got one more thing to say about the uh, cameras that i use in particular about the the canon 5d mark one uh, which is as i mentioned it's i'm i'm quite fond of that camera um and there's something I've done to it uh, because, you know, as as we know, DSLRs are not great uh, for adapted lenses, and one of the main reasons is the viewfinder because you know there's no split prism in there like a like an old film camera which were designed to be manually focused. It's you know it's an AF camera, um, but what I've actually done in that I I slotted into it a viewfinder or the the matte screen, the focusing screen, that's the, that's the uh, correct word, the focusing screen from a Nikon FE2 camera, mm. um, which um, which works a treat. It doesn't, it doesn't quite line up perfectly in the center, and I don't don't really understand why, but it's obviously something to do with the the design, so it must be slightly offset either on the, on the Nikon or it is on the Canon, but it, it works really, really well. So uh, it even gives me focus confirmation in the in, in the screen as well which is um, probably to do as much to do with the chip that's uh, in the in the adapters that I use so that's a 
you know, it's a really useful uh, little trick there for adapting a, an older DSLR if it's capable of swapping out the focus screens. That, that's great, Simon. I mean, wow, that um, that's such a great camera. That that original 5D. I mean, Canon really got it right. They built it well. Um, those things are still going strong. We we get them at the shop at Central Camera, and they. Um, Man, they just keep going and going. I'd actually like to get one for digitizing my uh, my film on the light stand on the um, copy stand here. Uh, great camera, so that's a great that's a great uh, great solution. I think that's fantastic, Simon. You're an inspiration to all of us. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, one of the one of the. <laughs> on the, on, I was going to say on that bombshell, but there's just one. one I just just thought of one other thing um, to do with the uh, uh, replacing that focus screen, and that's uh, it does slightly alter the um, exposure. Um, so I think you have to mm. uh, slightly. I can't remember now whether you've, you, you've got to under or overexpose it by round about a third of a stop. Uh, but that's a that's a that's a really really easy thing to do. Um, is, so is that a difficult thing to do? My Nikon FA doesn't have a split prism. It has that um, focus screen that has the grids across it, and it's kind of a matte finish. I don't know what it's called, and I don't like it. Um, but I and I see you can buy screens online. Are they are they relatively easy to change? Yeah. Um, actually, yeah. Probably Johnny's got more experience with this. Okay, I'll ask you more about that, Johnny. Yeah, no, that that I mean that that should be easy to do on your on your camera. Uh, okay. You can definitely get the screens, and you can you can you can definitely change them. So, okay. um, no, that's yeah, go for it. Well, that's it for episode four. Next week we'll be talking about the various versions of the Helios forty four lens, as well as focusing helicoids, and we'll also have our first guest with us. So to round things off, Johnny, how can people find out what you're up to? Uh, well, they can. Uh, talk to me in person most days at Central Camera Company in Chicago behind the sales counter. Uh, so I'm there. And then online, the best place to find me is Instagram. Um, I'm at Sisson Photography. That's S-I-S-S-O-N Photography. All S's in the first part there. And Cole? Well, on the uh, Photography with Classic Lens Facebook page and then also on Flickr, I'm, I'm just Carl with a K, Havens, just H-A-V-E-N-S. And I'm on Instagram as Simon P. Forster, is one word. I'm on Twitter as Simon Four, that's Simon F O R, again, one word. And Simon Forster on Flickr. And you can also find my eBay shop if you do a search for It's Fozzy, that's uh, I T S F O Z Z Y. And you can find all of us on the Facebook group Photography with Classic Lenses. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and I hope you can join us again next week. 